Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two brothers, two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you and to be with you all this morning. My name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors. I didn't realize today was St. Patrick's Day, but it is. I thought it was tomorrow. I have green pants on just because I got dressed in the dark this morning. Um, I woke up with a four-year-old sitting on my neck, and I decided it was time to wake up. Uh, I got dressed silently in the dark. So happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, No more snakes in Ireland or whatever the stories are. Uh, Yeah. Glad you're here. Uh, On the back of your bulletin, there are a couple of announcements that I want to point out. Uh, One, we're in the season of Lent right now, which is intended to be a time of somber reflection. So we we slow down a little bit, lower the volume a little bit, uh, and they they should be times that can have a bit of a low energy vibe. Lent is a time for uh, reflection, owning of our limitations, of our losses this last year. to look death in the face, to look loss in the face, and ultimately to be reminded that Easter's coming, right? Sunday's here, but Easter, or Lent is here, but, but Easter is coming. And in a few weeks, we'll celebrate the fact that all of these losses, all of these limitations don't define our stories. Ultimately, our story ends in resurrection like Christ's did. Um, and so I'm personally very excited about that. I hope you are too. But there are three service times on Easter. So how many services are there on Easter? Three. Three. I'm going to read them slowly. 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. This is usually by far our largest Sunday of the year, um, and we're excited for all the guests and visitors that come. So we had another service to make room for all of the people. Uh, But inevitably, we're going to start communicating it now, about five or six weeks ahead of time. It's in emails. You'll hear all about it. It's on the sign out on the street, and inevitably, one of you are going to show up at 11 a.m. and catch the tail end of the 10.30 service and the beginning of the 11. It happens every week or every year. We're just going to hammer it now. So how many services there at Easter? Three. When someone's like, what are your Easter plans? You should just confirm with them, hey, there's three Easter services. Which one are you going to? Because there's three of them, and one of the three is the one that we'll go to of the three on (laughs) Easter. So just pay attention to that. And then... uh, After the service today, there'll be a meeting about, um, it's called Affordable Christmas. It's something one of our other Sojourn churches has done in town. It's it's a way that we're going to pool together as a church and um, 
create kind of like a mini store downstairs so folks from the neighborhood can come and buy affordable Christmas presents for their kids. So we're not giving stuff away, but we're trying to create a place where people can get more than maybe they normally would be able to. And it's a great way for us to serve the neighborhood. And I hope you can check that out. There's other good stuff on the back of the bulletin. Uh, so take that home and look at it. Uh, this morning, we're finishing Matthew chapter four in this mini series we've called History, uh, Finding the More You Were Made For. And that we've said it for the last several weeks now. It's, it's ending in, entering our story into the story of God. And now, uh, I was deeply disappointed by this in the nine o'clock service. So we'll, we'll see how you guys go. Does anybody remember the G.I. Joe slogan? So I just need somebody to say it. Oh my gosh. I got a more than meets the eye over here. Real American hero. Say, oh, there it is, real loud. Oh my gosh. There was one guy in the last service and everyone else was like, G.I. Who, who? Now it is a real American hero. Or that was some, Transformers is more than meets the eye. Like, <laughs> she many Christmas. Um, so we've, we've talked about these last few weeks, finding the more that you're made for, recognizing all of us as humans have a longing for deeper, richer, fuller, truer, more beautiful lives. But where do we find it? Um, now, knowing where to find it is only half the battle. There's the tie-in, right? Because let's make everybody, un I'll try to get a couple people uncomfortable. You know you need to lose weight, right? Right? You know you need to do that thing at work you keep putting off, or you know you need to have that conversation. You know you should stop eating fried food. You, whatever. There's all kinds of things that we know, um, and it only becomes helpful once it begins being lived. So, Next week, we're going to start a series that we're calling The Good Life, uh, Living the More That You Were Made For. And there's all kinds of imagery there. You can let your minds wander and your imaginations be stirred. We'll be in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and it's the greatest sermon of all time. You may have heard of it before. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is Jesus' picture of the good life. How is the, what is a truly human life meant to look like? How do we live as citizens of the kingdom of God? It will be intensely practical um, and, I hope, invitational. The more we're made for is found in knowing and following Jesus. So how do we actually live that way? It's great to know these truths about Jesus, but from his perspective, what does following him and living life with him actually look like? This is the life that we were made to live. And... I think it's absolutely crucial for us today. Uh, maybe you've heard of this growing group within our nation called the nuns. Anybody know who the, you heard of the nuns? I keep having, trying to have this like participatory conversation with 200 people. It's weird. I don't mean the nuns like the Catholic nuns. Um, the nuns are the N-O-N-E-S nuns. So, so that's on surveys or census information where they mark their religious affiliation down as, as none. So that's why we call them the nuns. Um, what they mean is that they have no commitment to organized religion or a, like a core set of beliefs. Um, and at the same time, so there's a rejection of kind of like authority and power, tradition. If you're, if you're like in the 55 and up crowd and you're kind of confused about culture these days, you need to know that the 35 and under crowd doesn't like authority. Let the millennials say amen. Right? They won't do it. They're like, I'm not going to do what you told me to do. <laughs> I won't do what you told me to do. They don't like authority. Um, they don't like the idea of tradition. They don't like the idea that somebody else could have a good idea for their life. Um, so authority, power, 
These are just un... They're tainted with negative connotations in our society right now. And so there's this rejection of authority structures and systems and like the traditional institutional uh, religious experience, however you want to say that. And at the same time, though, there's a growing interest in spirituality. Maybe you've heard this phrase. I hear it all the time around here where people will find out that I'm a pastor and they'll be like, oh, I love that. I'm not religious, but I'm very... Yeah, so you've heard it. Um, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. And if you press into that, that basically means they do things that they like to do because it makes them feel not religious because their religion is bad, right? But I don't know what, right? I'm just going to do things that I like to do to make me feel like I'm doing the things that I used to do when I was religious, but now no one's telling me to do that. So it's a very confusing system. Um, so... There's a rejection of institution and authority on the one hand, but some of that hunger, that longing for more that led us there is still showing up. So we get a little confused. And at the same time, I think this young, the younger generation is over this idea that science and reason can give all of the answers to life. So there's a growing skepticism or discontent. But in the late 1800s, early 1900s, this idea came about that we could think our way into the answer of all of life's questions. We can figure this out, and with enough tests, enough work, we can get to the bottom of all of this. And we're pretty smart now, um, but we're butting up against some pretty significant walls. And so here's what I mean. Science and reason do a great job of helping us understand what something is or recognizing what something does, but it's less, under, it's less helpful in understanding how it does that. So here's what I mean. Um, we know what, will, what gravity does with a high degree of accuracy and consistency. So we know if you walk off the roof of a building, the odds are very high of what will happen after that. And it, it goes beyond just kind of natural observations like that. I mean, we can plan incredible flight paths and missile trajectories and do all kinds of wild, crazy things because gravity is very predictable and consistent. And so we know what will happen. Now, if you, say, if you, if you try to press it a little bit further and ask a physicist, well, what is gravity? How does it work? Uh, you know, we don't know what gravity really is. We know what's happening with it, but we're not entirely sure how it does. What is it? Gravitrons? I'm kind of in the pro-gravitron group because there's a particle that hasn't been discovered yet. Gravitron. Um, is it space-time being fluctuated by huge mass part? We're just not entirely sure. So science can do pretty good at saying what something is, not so good at how it is, even worse at why it is. But science can't do a very good job of answering the persistent questions of what are we even doing here? What is all this for? And that gets confusing when you experience something amazing or beautiful and something in your soul cries out, this means something, or an incredible loss and pain to think that this is just a waste. There's something in us that says, no, 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 this means something. So we live in this tension of, I think the 35 and under crowd doesn't really buy into science having all of the answers, but we're skeptical of the authority of the religious institutions. And so weird things pop out to find the middle ground, like I'm a very spiritual person. Or have you wondered why superhero movies are so popular right now? I grew up reading comic books. I have thousands of them in my basement. And I'll tell you, 
in eighth grade, no one was like, here's how you get a girlfriend. You go read comic books, right? Like, it wasn't cool back then. And now all of a sudden, and I was first in line to see Captain Marvel. That's a bad woman. Michael Jackson bad, right? Like, I love it. I will go see every one of those things. But isn't it interesting in that time where we've rejected authority and these grand religious institutions, and we've rejected science, that now all of a sudden we're making all of these movies about people who are basically gods doing the miraculous to save the day in the midst of cosmic struggle. We're creating new religions. We can't help because we're, we're longing for the transcendent. It, it's, it's popping out of us. We know it's there, but we can't seem to find it. And one of the most staggering messages of Christianity is that the, the it, that it that we're looking for actually came to find us. It didn't sit back in the distance. And, you know, whatever, whatever you think of the way of Jesus, you must not think that it's a vague spirituality where you just do what you feel like, go out in the woods and find some meaning in your life or, or something like that. It's not vague spirituality, and it's not abstract principles and rules to live by. See, this it that came near to us was a real person. It was a particular human being named Jesus of Nazareth, and he invites particular people to come and follow him. This is the rhythm of the Christian life. The more we're made for is found by entering into the story of God. And the big point that I want us to see this morning, because we spent the last several weeks talking about this, so you can, you can go back and listen to the sermons. Uh, this new life we're invited to is one where we never go it alone. Um, we never enter into his story alone. We were never meant to live as isolated, abstract, spiritual beings. So here's the first day of Jesus's public ministry. He's out from temptation. And I, these first couple of verses, I'm going to pause it for a second, because uh, I think they're hilarious. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. So one, I like it that Jesus's big day starts with him taking a walk, right? And so let me remind you, this is the mission to reconcile the whole universe. Like Jesus is making creation the way it was intended to be. And on the day this mission starts, he's not calling in all the politicians. He's not doing a press conference. He's not going to the temple. He's going on a walk by the water. And then he sees two brothers this is one of the things I love about the Bible, throwing a net into the water. Unless you're wondering, why are they just throwing nets in the water? Because they fished for a living, right? Like, I, just, I don't know why they word it that way. I just think it's funny. So he's going on a walk, and he sees two brothers doing what they're doing, that what they would have done every day. And so just think for a second. How many of you in your quest for spiritual meaning have wanted a burning bush moment? You know, those are those moments, right, thank you. Those are those moments in the Bible where you're like, God, if you would speak to me, I would listen to it, or whatever. Like, if you would rip open the skies and the trumpets would blow, or you've got a big decision. Like, I've, I did this two weeks ago, and you're like, God, give me a sign, right? Speak to me. And what I think is so funny is on the biggest mission of the world, God is doing something that I think most of us would miss in the name of spirituality. We spend so much time looking for these grand spiritual signs up there that we miss Jesus going for walks down here. You know what I mean? Like we think that for something to be of God or to be important or significant, that there has to be these wild supernatural moments. But following Jesus and walking into his story will often begin in ordinary places. He'll reveal himself to you in the ordinary. Like Jesus, some of his most poignant moments in ministry revolve going on walks and making breakfast. S some of the most simple, ordinary things 
that we can do. He'll reveal himself to you in the ordinary, and following him will often look ordinary. So if you're like, man, tomorrow's Monday. I'm going back to my normal job. Be like, well, thanks be to God, through most of human history, it's been on normal Mondays that Jesus has shown up to do something amazing in people's lives. So he shows up in ordinary ways, revealing himself in ordinary ways, and following him will often look pretty ordinary. This is what he says to them. He called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Uh, this seems almost cliche for us now, fishers of men. Maybe you've got the bumper sticker, there's songs and posters and, and whatever. But listen, Jesus is not inviting them to some weird, unfamiliar spiritual life here. He's talking to fishermen. And notice that he doesn't say something like, these are the kind of new agey things that people say now, like, come join us on a retreat where we will experience the melted oneness of our consciousness into the greater mother of the world. Or, you know, and you're like, you don't really know what they're talking about. You got to learn a new language and define all of these terms. Jesus says, hey, you fishermen, follow me and I will show you how to fish for men. Like, he's speaking to something that's really concrete and normal for them. He's saying, I'm gonna, these things that you're good at, that, that you've got some skill at, I'm going to take your talents, I'm going to take what you always do, and I'm going to show you how to do it in a new way. So this thing, fishing, that you do, we're going to keep fishing, and we're going to do it in a slightly different way. So the more we're made for means following Jesus, and it often means looking for him in ordinary places, doing ordinary activities. He doesn't say we're going to do some crazy new Christian stuff. He says you can do basically what you've always been doing, but you're going to do it in a new way. And let's think about the disciples here for a minute. Um, you may be tempted to say like, oh, they're fishermen and read into a bunch of that. Um, that's like a really normal good job back then. That'd be like someone saying like, hey, I'm a shift manager at Ford where there's you know, a few thousand of them around here and it takes a degree of skill and hard work, like it's a good, solid job. Fishermen probably spoke five or six languages back then on the Mediterranean in those areas because you had all these different cultures coming in. So don't read into that like that they're dumb or whatever. It's just a, it's just a normal job. It's a normal, good job. And notice though that we don't read on either side, Jesus impressed by their many skills or like Jesus needing someone who could speak Greek and Aramaic. It, we don't read anything about the disciples that would suggest that Jesus is showing up because of something inherent to them. They're, it's an ordinary day doing ordinary things, and these are ordinary dudes. These are just normal guys. What made them disciples wasn't an inherent gift set or an impressive track record or a promising future. It was the power of the word of Jesus that made them become what they eventually became. So we can't make the mistake of thinking that the disciples were superheroes or whatever. The, the power that makes someone a disciple that puts them on the road to a meaningful life is not the power of human potential. And this is sometimes a mistake we make in church where it's like, oh, that guy's the one who's got it. Or I, whatever. We have a church planting network as a church. We start new churches and we go through this assessment process where we, you know, put new people through a battery of tests and we guess how well will they do. And after being around this for almost a decade, here's my best guess is that we don't really know when it works and when it doesn't. And so let's put some effort into, you know, their, their character and their maturity. But I, we can't make the mistake of thinking that what someone will do will be based on their own skills and strategies or whatever, because the pattern we see is it's the power of the word of God that changes people and that empowers them for the mission. So this power comes from Jesus. 
It makes them into something new, and it immediately points them towards what is the greatest priority in the kingdom of God, and that is other people. Jesus' invitation is not into a mystical philosophy. It's not into a, a vague spirituality, and neither is it an invitation into a merely personal salvation experience. Do you, where is it? Yeah, great, it's still up. Notice he doesn't say, come follow me and I will save your eternal soul. He doesn't say that. He says, follow me and we're going to do this thing for other people together. I'm going to help you do what you've always done for the sake of influencing others so that they may hear my words and follow me just as you have. The more we are made for is found in Jesus, and the product of knowing Jesus is a growing passion and love for other people. That when you hear the word mission or kingdom, you just can't ever divorce that from the ideas of relationships and people. Christianity is a boots-on-the-ground religion. It's a participation in relationship with God and with one another. So, Jesus has these two disciples. Watch what happens next. Verse 21. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called them to come too. So, lest you think this is just a one-off experience, he keeps walking. Now he's got two guys walking with him. He sees two other guys, two brothers, that are at the family business, doing a normal day, and he says, come to me. Now, as a side note, that we could do a whole other sermon on this. When we, we'll, do, we'll hit this part of it in Matthew again in six years, or whenever we do it again. Um, don't make the mistake of thinking that living more will be pain-free. You know, living into what God has made you for will be easier pain-free. Dudes are leaving their job, and these dudes are leaving dad fixing nets on the boat. Right? There's going to be family costs to follow Jesus. There'll be work costs to follow Jesus. I wish we had a little bit more here so we could know if, you know, James was like, but what about the 401k? Or, you know, because these are the questions I'm asking. What about retirement? What about... You know, there was real cost for them to leave. The point I want to make for us this morning, though, is Jesus calls these two guys, and they immediately go to call two more guys. And now these people who are different and who are separated are united together in a shared purpose with a shared identity in Christ. This new family is building. Jesus wasn't like, it's just going to be me and you guys. He says, no, we're going we're gonna to build and bring people into this. And now this new group, they go out, and this is what happens. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. People soon began bringing to him all who were sick, whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. And there's a ton that we could say about this passage. Again, we'll get it in six years when we do Matthew. But I, I want us to notice a couple of big things about this. Um, first, the, the mission of God is made um, for people and with people. Sometimes, you know, as the church gets kind of overtaken by a, a shareholder mindset or like a quarterly performance statistics mindset, we think mission means numbers or whatever. And we, we can't forget the mission of God is always about people. It's relationships and human beings. And notice Jesus was not a lone ranger. He called these disciples and then he brought them along on ministry and mission to other people. This is all about 
other humans, other people here. He modeled the way for them, certainly, like, watch me and be like me. But more than that, he said, come alongside me. Christianity is not a Lone Ranger faith, period. If, if your Christianity is a personal spirituality or something, it might be interesting for you or helpful, but I don't think it's Christianity. Um, Christianity is an invitation into a new way of life centered on a relationship with a real person, which is Jesus himself. And as we're being recreated, this moves us into relationship with other people. This is one of the, like, the fundamental themes of the whole Bible. So let's, let's try some more crowd participation. I'll just ask you one question. Um, in the beginning, before sin entered the world, before anything had gone sideways, before anything was distorted, so Satan hasn't done anything bad, God looks at a perfect world and says, there's one thing that's not good. Who, who knows? A man to be alone. There's no sin. There's no nothing wrong in the world. But he looks at a human being alone and says, that's not good. This is the Bible showing us you are created for community. You're created for relationships with other human beings. The primary metaphor the Bible uses to talk about salvation is adoption into a family, where we're part of brothers and sisters. We're created for community. We're saved as part of a community, and Jesus always sends us as part of a community with himself and with one another. He doesn't say, go out by yourself and just do your best, buddy. You know, we're sent out as part of a family. We are made for community. These guys... They watched him teach, they watched him heal, they walked with him. He's showing them what being fishers of men look like. We are made for this, being with one another, walking through life with one another uh, for something that's bigger than who we are or bigger than what we can imagine on our own. So a little bit practically, not all the way practically, just a little bit. What are you currently doing that perhaps Jesus is inviting you to simply do differently. Like, what are you good at? Like maybe being a fisher. What does being, how can you take the skill and redirect it towards the kingdom of God? Who, who are you investing in? Who are you simply inviting to come along with you? Who is watching the way you live and in doing so becoming more like you? The principle is always bring someone with you. If you're here and you've survived raising children, there, there are all kinds of men and women that need a phone call or a cup of coffee, uh, and we need to be told you'll make it. Right? Especially, and I'm not going to make you raise your hands, if, you, if you've got your first newborn at home and you come to church wondering like how anybody else has survived because you haven't slept for days on end or something like. And listen, so if that new mom is going grocery shopping, you like fully leveled up mom who's done it and raised the kids, go grocery shopping with that young mom and, and let her know you're going to make it. What are you doing and how could you bring somebody with you? We don't need to invent all these new Christian spiritual practices. What are you already doing that maybe God's inviting you to do differently. And so listen, like your personal holiness is important. Your personal transformation is important. We talk about this all the time, but that just can never mean long-term isolation. Um, it's, it's dehumanizing to be alone over the long term. You just can't privately follow Jesus very long. The more we're made for is not private spiritual practices or personal silently held beliefs. And I think God is inviting each of us this morning out of isolation, out of the ambiguity of just being spiritual, 
and into his concrete world of reconciliation. And listen, if you're willing to open your eyes a little bit to, to see how might God be moving here somewhere ordinary, the opportunities will be endless. I'll give you one example that is moderately embarrassing for me. Some of you know about my love for Toyota Land Cruisers, um, the greatest vehicle on God's green earth. Uh, and it's weird. You either don't care about Land Cruisers, which by that reaction I'm guessing is most of you. We're all into different stuff. You either care about Land Cruisers or you're like living Land Cruisers. So I am part of the Bluegrass Land Cruisers Club, which means... This is why community group's hard, right? Because you're vulnerable, and then the front row laughs at you. <laughs> Whatever. My identity's in Jesus. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm finishing my coffee. So, once a month or more, you know, depending on how much we got going on, uh, I'll get together with these guys at a store in Louisville to talk about land cruisers. And, you know... You're about to feel so convicted here in a second. Uh, but so listen, I do that because I love land cruisers, right? And I'm the weird one there because I, like, they'll make jokes about me being a Christian. They'll make jokes about me being a pastor. Some of them know about Sojourn and they'll make jokes about me being at Sojourn. But now they're also asking me to pray for them. Or I'll get Facebook messages that's like, hey, I got surgery coming up. Can you blah, 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 or whatever. Hey, my daughter was born. We're scared about it. Can you pray for me? You know, and so it's like, okay, how can I do something with my love of land cruisers to put me in a world that I would never be in before? And it's not like something amazing has happened, but I'm around these guys. We unite around something we love, and there's opportunities that are coming to be able to talk about Jesus and point them to something that's even, even better than these things that we love. What are you already doing now? What do you love now that maybe Jesus is saying, I want you to do lawn care for people. I want you to go grocery shopping for the kingdom of God. I want you to go on walks. I want you to go to the playground. Whatever it might be, what are you already doing in your life that maybe God is inviting you to do something different? And who can you invite to come along with you? And usually at this point, notice I haven't like, made you guys uncomfortable about sharing the gospel or whatever, all these the things that tend to make us uncomfortable in church. Because whenever, this is something, I don't know if this is all people or if this is us people, we here. I feel like when we push a little bit, like, hey, step out a little bit. Let's see what happens. The response that we usually get is like, you don't know me, pastor. You don't know what I've been. Or if, if we could just run a class on blah, 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 blah. Or what's the best book that I could read on blah, 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 blah. And some of that is okay, right? Like there's, some, there's something to be said for training and expertise. Like if you want to go have surgery, you want to make sure the surgeon's gone to school. You don't just like dive in. But the, one of the big principles here of the Christian life that we see in these guys being called is that no one is ready. When, when God calls to come do this, notice Jesus doesn't say, hey guys, I want you to go read up on this for a second. I've got some training modules for you to do for the next two to three years. And this might make somebody uncomfortable. I don't even think these guys are Christians at this point. We don't get any indication that I mean, they're walking around with Jesus, but if you pulled them aside and said, who is Jesus? I mean, they would bomb that theology exam because they bombed the theology exam a few years later when they don't have any idea what's going on, even though he's explained it to them. 
If they had good theology, they wouldn't have been so messed up and racked with confusion and fear when Jesus died because he told us this would happen. These guys are following Jesus, but we don't really know where they stand or what they think. He doesn't enroll them in a training program. He invites them into relationship. My point is, yes, there will be some, don't read too far into this, some things you got to prepare for, some things you should go to school for in life. But if you're waiting to follow Jesus until you're ready, if you know right now what I just said to you, like, oh my gosh, I would do this hobby and I would invite other people that don't know Jesus along, but I, I got to do this, this, and this until I'm ready. If you're waiting to follow Jesus until you're ready, you will die waiting. No one feels ready. Find somebody that you think did something wonderful for the kingdom of God or inspiring and ask them, how did you know you were ready? Ask somebody who's honest about being married, how did you know you were ready? It's like, just pulled the trigger, man. Like at some point, at some point, you're making a, a, a step into the darkness, right? You don't know. No one feels ready. And so this is where you must answer honestly in your own heart, in your own mind, are you living the more that you were made for? Are you experiencing deep satisfaction in your walk with Jesus? I guess to put it a little bit differently, is the way you're doing it working for you? Do you feel like you're experiencing the rich promises of Jesus? Are you waiting or are you going? No one was ready. And so this is why we have to go back to where we began. It was not the potential of these men that made them followers of Jesus. It was the power of the word of Jesus. And he's calling everyone in this room to go. Maybe it's as simple as inviting someone to church next week. And if you don't know how to make it like a religious thing, do you realize that Matthew 5 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it's the most influential piece of writing in human history. Nothing has shaped society and culture more than the Sermon on the Mount worldwide. So you can just say to somebody, you want to go hear a lecture on the most interesting, uh, influential piece of writing that's ever happened. My church is talking about it. You want to just come listen. I know you're not ready. I'm not ready. Part of the reason I'm a preacher is because every Sunday I don't feel ready and it makes me step out and learn how to trust God, which is something I'm not good at. I know we're not ready as a people, but like, are we going to keep staring down at ourselves, replaying all the reasons we have to stay in our boats and keep fishing? Or are we going to be a people that say, he's risen? Listen, y'all don't know me. Some of you know me, but most of you, you guys see what I do up here and you think you know me. You don't have any idea how much I struggle with doubt and worry and it's one thing, like if you wasted a bunch of years sitting in church to find out all of this was nonsense. It's another thing if like, you wasted your one career doing it, right? And telling all these other people about it. I get freak out about this stuff all the time. And the, the thing that I can't shake is that I can't figure out another explanation to what happened to Jesus than he rose from the dead. And that's the question, man. Did he rise? And if he rose, it changes, it just changes everything. So when he says something like this, go because I said so. Well, you're God and you rose from the dead and I'm not sure how or what all that happened. So if you say so, I will go. And that empowers us to say, you know what? Like, here's all my inconsistencies. Here's my internal contradictions. Here's all of my doubt. But he said, go do this. And so not because of me or what I think of or my own readiness, but because of his power that is at work in me, because of him, I will go. 
Are we going to be a people who look around looking at ourselves, wondering when will we have what it takes to go and do what Jesus says he's done? Did you forget Stephen's sermon from last week already? That God uses ordinary people from the margins to do the miraculous. And, you know, we want to be a church that helps you take your next step with Jesus. So that, that means not going from zero to 100, but zero to one, then one to two, two to three. For some of you, the idea of talking to somebody else about this sounds totally crazy. So we have a surprise for you. We've been teasing it for a little while. I can just feel the suspense in the room. Um, in a few minutes, we'll unleash you into the lobby. Right? The, we've, the series is history, finding the more you're made for. In the lobby, we hope that you find the s'more you were made for. So we had to do it. Well, we're still Baptists at heart, which means we alliterate and rhyme and do play on words. Um, but so here's the deal. Out in the lobby, you'll find tables uh, and banners for several of the different ministries that take place in our church. Each one of them has a different flavor s'more. It's like dark chocolate cayenne s'more, milk chocolate sea salt s'more, Oreo s'more, butterscotch s'more, flavors of s'more I've never heard of. And we're not above bribing you to do what God's called you to do in life, okay? We're not. Find a ministry. Find one that sounds a little bit interesting to you. Maybe you don't want to do anything churchy sounding. Go to the city renewal ministry and look at what we're doing to make New Albany a better place to live in education, in housing, in jobs, like all these kinds of stuff. Join a ministry. Um, one, you won't be alone in the church anymore. Follow, if, you, if you serve in a ministry for a while, you won't be alone. Um, and maybe you'll learn to figure out what you're good at. Worst case scenario, a few months down the road, you're like, okay, I'm not good at this. Um, I don't like doing that. But I've got a few more friends now, and I think maybe I would be. Maybe I think now I will try out for the worship team or whatever. It might, I don't, there's nine, eight or nine different things out there for you to try. Um, we find the more that we're made for by entering God's story and joining God's mission with other people. And if that sounds overwhelming and daunting to you, allow us to bribe you with a s'more and go try something. This isn't about need that we have at the church. This isn't us saying, oh my gosh, we don't know how to do kids next week. We have all that we need. This is a way for you to experience the more that you're made for. I know you're not ready. I know many of you are scared. Um, and like, listen, if you're like prone to guilt and you're a young mom and you're feeling like you're going to say no, you go eat a s'more as evidence that God loves you and knows the important work of what you're doing, right? You don't need to feel any ounce of pressure to go do something else other than create life and sustain it, right? Like, good grief. You're doing a lot, okay? You're doing a lot. But what's stirring in you maybe even now? What's an idea? What's a tugging? Maybe you know where he's sending you, where he's inviting you, and to which I would just plead with you, do you know the power of his word? Like, have you heard of his glorious deeds that he's done in other churches and other places? And like, why not with us? It's not based on our talent, it's based on his calling and his power. What if we were a church that stopped looking at all of the reasons that we have to think we're not good enough and to say, he's done this before, why not us? Why not today? What if we became a people that said, here we are, Lord, send us. And this is why week after week, we ground ourselves in communion to ground ourselves in what makes all of this possible, the reality that it's by the power of Jesus' word that the dead come to life. It's the power of his word that 
that walls fall and chains break and nations change. And it's by the power of his word that we are made new and kept safe. So we remember the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. Um, he gave thanks for it and broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. And after the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. So listen, we have this opportunity to go into life with God. How can we do that? Our sins have been forgiven through the body of Christ, broken for us, and we're kept safe forever by the blood of Christ being shed for us. Which means, you know what? Even if you invite that friend and they say no, or you try the ministry and you hate it, like, we're safe. We're safe to fail. We're safe to risk. We're safe to try. You cannot outsin your way um, of the grace of God. You, you just aren't going to outrun him. He's bigger than you and tougher than you, and he loves you more than you know. So let's go. Let's be a church that says, here we are, send us. Our tradition at Sojourn is to rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice, uh, wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it. There'll be stations in the back and some up front. There'll be gluten-free elements to my left and your right. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, let's come and remember our hope. Let's pray.